Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Amen. Well, we are on the backside of this rather long series. Um, Ten weeks is a little long for Celebration Church. We tend to be a little more ADD, or maybe I do, and so I'll keep them a little shorter. So, But as we are going through um, the old Roman creed, um, then it's been needful for us to go and, and do this for ten weeks and just be able to break this down and look at this um, week um, by week. And we have led off um, with this idea that what we believe is the framework of our relationship with God. What we believe, it, it's, the, it's the framework. It's how we, it begins to uh, stretch the canvas um, from which our picture of God gets painted. And if our belief system is too tight, if it's too small or uh, incomplete, then we end up with a too small and an incomplete God. But if we will let God begin to expand that and fully understand the things that we, the core beliefs we believe across all denominations, um, across the body of Christ, across the centuries, and understand why we believe them, then that'll help us to be able to really get the fullness of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. Uh, want us to go ahead and look at this moment uh, once more, one more time at Luke chapter one, verse one. Um, and we're going to get into this again, because this shows us that it is needful, actually vital, that we have a serious look. We take a serious look at what we believe and look at it and, and make sure that it's credible, make sure it's solid so that we can have confidence in what we believe. Let's look at Luke chapter one, verse one. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. You've been in church for a while. You've been taught some things. You've been taught some things about God. And, and the truth is, is God does not expect us to check our minds at the door to all of a sudden just, just turn everything off and not, be, not use our our minds, our thoughts to be able to connect and see who God is and that, that this is trustworthy. Luke carefully investigated it. Luke was an educated man who carefully investigated. Luke was a doctor. And he took that, his inquisitive mind and he put that into a place to investigate the stories about Jesus, talk to eyewitnesses about Jesus and then put this down so that this man, Theophilus, would be able to have confidence in what he had been taught and the certainty of the things that he had been taught. This is absolutely, absolutely vital. And so this, if this is the motivation, what the Holy Spirit used to prompt Luke to write his gospel, well, then you know what? I think it's honestly, it's part of what should be in our nature as Christians, 
to make sure and carefully investigate and make sure of the certainty of the things that we've been taught. Looking for the certainty is, is faith, looking for a place to attach to. It's not doubt, looking for a place to release. It can be faith, looking for a place to attach. And so we gotta make sure that we have a space where we can carefully investigate and make sure of what we have been taught. Now with that, we've gone back over the old Roman creed. Now again, we've chosen the old Roman creed um, because it is the oldest fully recorded creed. Um, you're, if you've been in church for a while, you're familiar with the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, which are fantastic. They're a little longer. They have a few more elements. We agree with those things as well. There's nothing in the Apostles' Creed that we have any beef with, so we've not neglected that one over this one. This one's just older. It's two centuries older. This dates back to, to year 125. Apostle John died in year 100. So this is, goes back to what the early church believed, and we want to stay connected with that. So let's look at what the old Roman creed says. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. This is something that people in lots of spaces can quote. If you've, again, some of you may know the Apostles' Creed and just be able to quote it off the top of your head or prompt it a little bit, be able to kind of get it started and you know it by rote, but why this is vital, why these things were written, why this declaration says, I believe, is because it is vital for us to understand the roots of what keeps us going in, in our relationship with God. What we don't want to do is turn this into some sort of little checklist that we've just memorized this because as a good little Christian, I ought to have this thing memorized and just be able to quote it and not really understand the truth of that it connects us with the person of Jesus to allow us to grow into everything we're called to be as the children of God. And it's easy to turn just about anything into some sort of almost religious practice and just turn it into, into that. Um, I noticed this even within my own family a little over a year ago, some point last school year, um, there was this little moment that took place. Um, our church offices don't open till nine o'clock. And so one of the benefits of that is that as dad, I get to be a part of dropping the kids off at school. And so Cutie and I help get them out the door and into the class, into to, um, the car and take them to school and be able to do that together. Um, every morning as we go and drop them off at school. And just like anything else that you do every day, you kind of you have your pattern. You have your route that you drive, and you drive that route every day. So on our way to school, we're, now it's just the two little girls, the eight and the 10-year-old. And so we're taking them to school. And one morning, little, sometime last school year, uh, Pressy, our youngest, uh, just all of a sudden blurts out from the back seat, something that sounded like, mommy, you're short. And that was not what she said, 
But that is what everybody else, the other three of us in the car heard was, Mommy, you're short. Well, up there, I thought we were just blurting out obvious facts about my wife. Um, so I said, Mommy, you're smart. And so another obvious fact. She made a good choice in marriage. She's got to be pretty smart. And so, and so, so, and then Colin said, Mommy, you're beautiful. So we're just, okay, we're just throwing out random facts about cutie. And so, which was not what she was doing. It was not what Preston was doing, but that's how it seemed. So we did that. Well, then that happened driving in front of a particular house on a particular road on our way to school. Well, the next day, because it was funny and we had all laughed about it, well, Pressy shouts it out again at the exact same spot. And then I say, Mama, you're smart, and we do it. Then it turns into a thing. So now for well over a year, every day, um, Cutie gets these wonderful little affirmations. Mommy, you're short. Mommy, you're smart. Mommy, you're beautiful. And so, and then she very quickly began to then feed that back to us. And so, and she would tell each of us what we were said. So I get to hear that I'm smart every day, which is for a guy whose words of affirmation, love language, getting told I'm smart every day is pretty cool. So don't, don't, don't turn that down. And so, so but we, this just became a thing and has been for well over a year that this just happens. Well, one time I was running a little late, wanted to avoid the light. So I'm zigzagging through a different part of the neighborhood and don't drive in front of the house. So they couldn't say it. And I was in trouble. That little, that little girl let me know, daddy, you went the wrong way. We didn't get to say our stuff to mommy. I'm like, you can say that whenever you get good and ready. But no, we have to do it in front of that house every single time. Well, recently, um, I had to take the girls to school by myself. Cutie, we had a, a busy morning. Cutie was getting ready. So I take the girls to school by myself. Cutie is not in the car. We get to that spot right there in front of that house. And Pressy says, Mommy, you're short. Mommy, you're smart. Mommy, you're beautiful. But Mommy's not there. She's not there to hear it. She's not there to receive it. It has that moment. It has nothing to do with mommy. And it just has to do with this is what we do every day. And then she immediately, as awkward as that was of telling mommy when she's not there, then Pressy decided she wanted to receive it back. So then Pressy says, Pressy, you're smart. Pressy, you're beautiful. Pressy, you're short stack. Because that's what she tells Pressy. And so, and then she says it back to herself. Our morning routine gets salvaged and we go on. But then I was just sitting there and just noticing how sometimes we can focus in more on getting our little thing that we do every day, our little religious activity, even if we're not conscious of who it's about's presence. Even if that's absent, then somehow we still want to do the exercise. We still want to do the thing anyways. What can happen with us so easily is we turn our prayer time, we turn our Bible time, we can turn our Sunday morning church time into something we do at this point in our day, we do at this point in our week, and somehow all of a sudden we're not even conscious of God's presence anymore, and we're just doing it because this is what we do, and it's really not about connecting with the person we're supposed to connect with. We're just doing our religious activity, and folks, we can do that with anything, and we can specifically do it in our relationship with God. Having something like the creed is not to have something we just quote and we just know. 
but to have, make sure there, there are these points that we're able to connect with the God who loves us. If we take God out of the picture, it is nothing different than any other vain, empty, religious practice. We have to keep it about him. And so in that, as we're looking at it this week, then we're looking at the part of the, of the creed where we look at that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's presence is with us always. There's never a moment where we're alone, where all of a sudden we can do something to connect with God, and all of a sudden he's not present anymore. No, the Holy Spirit is with us always. The Holy Spirit is in us as the children of God always. In fact, let's look at this truth that the Holy Spirit is essential. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential, okay? If you remember, we talked about what to do last week um, until Jesus returns. And we looked at Acts 1.8, where we're gonna be, Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. But he had already told them, wait, wait in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes. So here they are. These are the people who saw Jesus' miracles, who, who ate the bread that got multiplied, who had the very first moment of communion there in the upper room. They're the ones that know the stuff, have lived the stuff, and they have the mandate to go and share it and teach and proclaim and preach. But we're told that before you do any of that, wait. Don't make a move. So the people who were the most equipped by Jesus himself saw the miracles firsthand, can tell you what the bread tasted like, what that chunk of fish tasted like, how the, how the guy's eyes opened, what color his eyes were. They can tell you all the details. And those people had to wait for the Holy Spirit before they were able to go and do it. If they needed to wait, if they desperately needed the Holy Spirit, don't you think you and I need the Holy Spirit? Don't you think you and I need to be open and ready for the Holy Spirit to come and to, and to, to lead and power and empower us? The Holy Spirit is essential. It's not an add-on option, okay, where you get the essential God the Father, God the Son, and then, you know, if you're really crazy, you can have some Holy Spirit. You really want to crank it up? You really want to go? Well, then you can have this optional Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit's not an add-on option. It's not for that crazy church down the street. It's not for that. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And the fact that it's called the Holy Spirit, you're like, I understand God as a father. I understand. There you go again. Every time I talk about the Holy Spirit, the last service, the lights just go crazy. Are we having a, a computer that's trying to go to heaven? <laughs> Computers don't go to heaven. Just stay here and work. Um, they'll come back at some point. Something will happen. Anyways, the Holy Spirit's essential. What was I saying? <laughs> Anyways, we desperately need the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's go ahead and look as Jesus is spending his last pre-resurrection, um, pre-cross discipleship moments with his um, disciples. He's there in the upper room. 
Um, this is John 14, 15, part of 16, um, where Jesus, all of this is the last supper, okay? And so let's look at John chapter 14, verse 16. And it says, and Jesus tells them, he says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He'll be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, what's the difference with him being with them, but will be in? The will be is happening when the new birth is possible, when Jesus has paid the price, that his blood has been spilled, and we're able to step over from death to life. That opens up the will be, that all of a sudden, we are now a part of the body of Christ. Guess what? The spirit, there we go, that makes you alive, guess what? It is fully in you. It's in your hands. It's, it's fully in you, okay? It's the spirit that makes you alive. The spirit that makes Jesus alive is in his body. It's not over here and part of his body's missing it and part of his body's got it. No, his body fully has it. Us, the body of Christ, fully have it and it'll be in us. Let's look real quick um, at a little passage of scripture. It won't be on your screens, but... I just wanted, I added this at the last minute, just to make sure a point of clarification. Um, psalm 51 um, is a psalm that David writes. Of course, David is a man after God's own heart. And David writes this psalm um, after he's been confronted by the prophet Nathan over his adulterous relationship um, with Bathsheba. And he's been confronted, he repents, um, and he is, he's dealing with his repentance over his massive, massive mistake. And... In that, he writes this psalm that gets recorded for us as, as scripture. And in verse 11, um, he says this, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. If we're not careful and we don't un rightly understand what happened at the cross, we will think that Psalm 51:11 can apply to us. But on this side of the cross, Psalm 51:11 doesn't apply to us. When I was a kid, and I, and I don't I don't blame the church for this remotely, but I, we sang a song based on Psalm 51, "Creating me a clean heart," which is right before this, and renew a right spirit in, within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Here, as a New Testament believer, as a kid, I'm sitting there singing the song. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And that is not something that should be on any New Testament believer's lips whatsoever. David had to deal with it because David was not a New Testament believer. But you and I, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us and is going to stay with us forever, Jesus said. You don't have to worry about all of a sudden that the Holy Spirit getting upset with you and all of a sudden abandoning you and leaving you. And then you got to get everything just right and come up here and get prayer so that the Holy Spirit can get back into your life. No, you're a child of God. You may not always act like it, but you're a child of God. And the Holy Spirit is always with you. He's always there in you. Even when you're driving down Knickerbocker and people don't know how to use two-turn lanes because they don't. And all of a sudden, they swing right across and try to swipe, swipe you. I'm not saying I've ever experienced such a thing with a little red car doing that. I mean, uh, a little car doing that. But all of a sudden, something like that happens, and then you get upset, 
And all of a sudden, you sit there and the Holy Spirit just go, well, I was right there with you till you acted like that. Whoop, you're driving alone. I need to hear some repentance before I get back in that car with you. That is not how the Holy Spirit functions for us as New Testament believers. He'll convict us and, say, and tell us that we can live a different way. We can respond to frustration in a life-giving way, but he's not abandoning us in that, okay? So John chapter 14, verse 25, um, with that, um, Jesus is prepping his disciples for this big transition that's about to happen with his death, burial, and resurrection. So he's, he's teaching them. It says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. To fully get what Jesus said, the people that heard it with their ears needed the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of them to really understand it. So guess what? For you and I, to fully get the scriptures, we need the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us, revealing what Jesus is, is saying. In chapter 15, verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit helps us to fully understand who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. His fully completed work helps us to understand it. The next chapter, he talks about the Holy Spirit some more, still there in the upper room. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Bam. Let's just pause right there. Now, he's talking to these guys, his hardcore guys, guys who walked away from their careers, walked away from everything to follow Jesus. They're just three years into this thing, okay? They're not like 20 years, got their retirement, got their pension. Okay, if this ends, I'll be all right. No, they're just three years into this thing and Jesus, and they've walked away from everything in their life and Jesus is now telling them, I'm about to go away. And they're like, what? This was a, uh, no, I gave up everything. What do you mean you're, you're, you're going away? And he says, but it's to your advantage, not only am I going away, but it, it's good for you that I am going away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Here he is. He's talking to the people, again, who ate the miracle bread that fed 4,000. He's sitting there and he's talking to the people who know the color of the open to blind eyes who shook the hand of the guy who was, had the paralyzed arm, who know the name of the son of the widow of Nain, whose son was on, on the, basically in the hearse. They were carrying him down a street in his burial and Jesus messes it up and resurrects him. They know all that, they were there. And it says, it's better for, for those people if Jesus goes away and the Holy Spirit comes. If it's better for them, folks, we're not sitting here stuck all these years later with nothing but a Bible and the Holy Spirit instead of all of these people who got to really see Jesus. Jesus says this is having the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us is better than even that, than the ones who got to be in the upper room 
folks, we don't have a downgrade. We get what Jesus wanted all of his children to have, the spirit alive. What what he told the disciples to wait on, we've got it. It is ours, and we need to make sure we embrace it and fully utilize it. On a couple of verses later in verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Here's Jesus, master teacher, Jesus. Jesus who, when he spoke, I'm telling you, he was writing scripture as he was speaking that he backed up what he had to say with signs and wonders. These people took his word seriously. In fact, when he said things that were hard to say, hard to understand, and other people walked away, Jesus says, you're not going to leave too. And they said, nope, you've got the words of life. They took what Jesus said seriously. But even there, even there, Jesus' perfectly articulated teaching words going into their receiving ears, there was a place that Jesus says, there's things I need to say to you, but you can't handle it. They couldn't handle it from Jesus, but they would be able to handle it from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alive on the inside of them, revealing it on the inside of them, they could handle it. Folks, we desperately need the Holy Spirit because there are things in each of our lives that the people who are closest to us that love us the most, that we trust the most, that we, we, can't, we can't receive it. They can, there's things they can't tell us. We'll just stonewall it. We'll just push it to the side. We've been hurt. We, we're afraid. We're timid. We're embarrassed. There's all of these different things, the stuff you don't want to talk about, not to a person and not to God out loud, the Holy Spirit will sit there and deal with those things on the inside. Folks, God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he is not gonna leave us in a place where there's unspoken brokenness that is unable to be dealt with. He's given us the Holy Spirit that will say, Holy Spirit, I can't even say it, but I need your help here. I need your help. And the Holy Spirit will deal with us on the inside And I tell you what, if you've ever been through some of those moments, walked through some of those things that only the Holy Spirit can help you with, I'm telling you, man, it'll change the way you deal with people because guess what? The stuff I needed to deal with, other people could tell. Yeah, that guy's got to deal with that. You'll know it. You'll know it. Some of you people, when I was saying there's stuff that nobody can talk about, you're like, "Um, yeah, my spouse has stuff nobody can talk about. You know, every, you know these other people's stuff. You know the place they're stonewalling. It's not mysterious, but it's hurtful. It's hurtful. And when we see that in somebody else's life, we can be compassionate and patient, knowing, you know what? The only way I dealt with my stuff is by the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of me, and so I'm just gonna pray that the Holy Spirit will help them because that's the only way that's getting anywhere. And praise God, God loves us so much. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we don't stay stuck in the stuff we won't talk about. Then he'll finally get us healed enough Then he says, okay, now you can open up. Now you can talk. Now you can include. Now you can get some prayer for help for this. Now you can go, but man, we need something on the inside helping us to just even take that first step. So with that, the Holy Spirit helps us to embrace Jesus as Lord. 
1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul writes, and he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're raised in church a whole lot, we hear Jesus is Lord and, and Jesus is Savior. Like It's just kind of like it's the same thing. It's not. Jesus is Savior. We understand that our sin needed to be dealt with and that only the blood of Jesus, only what Jesus accomplished on the cross deals with our sin, gives us forgiveness and brings new life. And that is our understanding of a savior. But a Lord, a Lord is what we need to grow into the fullness of what this new life has given us. We need him to be boss. And folks, I'm telling you, the scriptures tell us nobody can really embrace Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit. We just can't. We can say it. We can play church games. We can do it. We've done it for years. But to really let Jesus be Lord, it requires the Holy Spirit to let him go to those places that really need to be changed, that we feel like, nope, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to strong arm this and I'm going to handle this myself. Nope, to, to let him really be Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. So guess what? If we can't do it without the Holy Spirit, if we can't embrace Jesus' authority as lordship, we, the children of God, without the Holy Spirit, within the world, of course the world thinks that Jesus shouldn't apply to anything. Of course they don't embrace his authority. Of course they don't, because he requires the Holy Spirit. So why are we mad at the world for discounting Jesus when the only way they could be able to embrace it is if they embrace Jesus and embrace the Holy Spirit? So then we get mad and get offended at the world that rejects the Lord we love so much and then we don't want to have anything to do with it. And then we get in our little holy huddle and just literally let the world go to hell and then just sit over here and go, you know what? They're just mean to us and they don't understand us. They pick on us. Instead of understanding that, yep, until the Holy Spirit comes alive in you, you're not going to get it. So I'm going to love you in spite of you because the only way you're going to get it is if you get introduced and so I'm going to have to be, you know what? What a tool of the enemy to come in and to make us mad and angry at the, our core place of ministry, which is the, the people that we live around, the culture we're planted in. How are you going to love someone you hate? How? We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to move forward. Go back to some of the stuff we've already read. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. If we read this all by itself, we have the wrong mentality. We can see, yeah, that, oh, the Holy Spirit, he's God's Gestapo. You know, he's the one who's spying on us and ratting us out. He's the one who's telling on us, you know, as we're sitting there having a conversation with somebody and we go do the little Southern bless your heart and the Holy Spirit sees we're clenching our fists ready to throat punch him. Oh, bless your heart. He's like, I, I know what you really want to do. Like, I'm smiling. I'm saying something sweet. No, you're not. And he's like, the Holy Spirit just telling on me. Holy Spirit's just always ratting me out. No, the Holy Spirit is not here picking apart our sin, telling us you need to be more righteous or I'm gonna judge you at the end. If we don't, un if we don't read this right, that's what we'll see, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But Jesus wanted to make sure we did not misunderstand and he keeps talking. 
Why does he convict the world of sin? Because we're all a bunch of rotten sinners and we need to be shamed into life correction. No, convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. That's the Holy Spirit's answer to sin. Believe in Jesus. Look to Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't look at the addict and go, you need to fix yourself. You need a program. You need this. You need that. No, the Holy Spirit addresses the addict and says, believe in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Embrace Jesus. He's the one that will make the difference. He doesn't look at our brokenness and shame us. He looks at our brokenness and says, the answer is Jesus. So guess what? The body of Christ, you know what we need to do when we face brokenness? We need to echo what the Holy Spirit is saying and say, embrace Jesus. Not throw shame and rejection, but embrace Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't convicting of righteous. Well, you, that sin's, that's sinful and you need to get righteous. No, the Holy Spirit of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. We talked about this two weeks ago, that Jesus has gone to the Father, the work is completed. He convicts us of the righteousness, the righteousness that is ours because Jesus provided it. He, so he, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, look to Jesus. Of righteousness, Jesus made you fully righteousness. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It has nothing to do with you being judged. The Holy Spirit isn't saying, well, you, you know you're gonna stand before God for that. You know you're going to stand before God. That's not what the Holy Spirit is saying to you about judgment. The Holy Spirit is saying the ruler of this world is judged. The one who's picking on you, tempting you, messing with you, jacking with your life, he's already defeated. Walk in the victory. That is what the Holy Spirit is saying about judgment. And then we need to understand this as we wrap this up, that he's also our friend. I love the way that Luke writes, and it's just this beautiful connection of partnership with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter five, verse 32, um, yeah, Luke writes, he says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to obey him. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. You know, it almost seem like, you know, we're witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just that kind of language. We're in this together. I love the beauty of that. Acts 13, 2, while we were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them to. So there they are. They're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do? Who's supposed to be responsible for what? And in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit says, hey, set apart these two guys for this work. The Holy Spirit's just in the middle of the decision-making, in the middle of the growth, in the middle of walking this out. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Acts 15, 28, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Sometimes you just need to make a decision that sometimes it just seems good to the Holy Spirit. Like, I, I, can I say that God's just absolutely told me this is the way this needs to go? Maybe not. Maybe I can't say this is it, but it seems good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't telling me to slow my roll. The Holy Spirit isn't saying, no, this isn't time. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then the last thing is, is he's, he's God. Holy Spirit's God. See here in Acts chapter five, See that Peter said to Ananias, said, Ananias, how is it that you have, that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied 
to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Well, wait a second. Didn't he just say you lied to the Holy Spirit and then now he's saying you lied to God? Is he like, like fixing it? Is he like correcting himself? No, it's the same. It's the same. The, God, the Holy Spirit is God. And then we see the three working together in John chapter 14, verse 16, where Jesus, Jesus is praying, he says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he will, that you, <coughs> who will abide with you forever. In verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance of things that I've said to you. 1526, but the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father and he will testify of me, the three working together. And then here is one of the most beautiful moments where we see for the disciples' sake, the disciples' sake getting it hard pressed in them that the Holy Spirit is very much a part of this. It's the baptism of Jesus. And in verse 22, it says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. What they saw reminded them of a dove, but they saw the Holy Spirit coming down and a voice came from heaven. So they saw the Holy Spirit. They heard the audible voice of the Father. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. So they're seeing the physical body of Jesus, the audible voice of the Father, and seeing the Holy Spirit in something that reminded them of a dove. And there with their sense knowledge, there at the baptism of Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, they see all three together. The Holy Spirit is very much a part of this. Folks, our bottom line is this that everything God does in our life, he does through the Holy Spirit, everything. So for us to be able to live in the fullness of the life God's called us to, we have to embrace the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lets us say that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit reveals to us what's been freely given to us. The Holy Spirit empowers us and helps us to function in the gifts that allow us to do what we're called to do. And then the Holy Spirit grows God's nature, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We can't do any of this without the ministry and the function of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.